Good evening, good evening, and welcome back to the Across the Tracks podcast. Good evening, my brother. How are you? Doing great, man. How you doing? Hey, it's all good, man. It's uh, February 28th, last day of Black History Month. Woo-woo. And, uh, you know, we made it through uh, made it through February and the cold weather and the snow, but uh, we're here, still surviving, still doing the COVID restriction thing, so... What more can I say, man? It's yes, all good. sir. Hey, <laughs> I got good. I've got good news on the COVID uh, bandwagon here. Uh-oh. Uh oh. You know that in Indiana on Wednesday of last week, they um, allowed people sixty to sixty-four to uh, sign up to get the vaccine. Uh oh. So uh, I, I was in the shower, and Lane came in and said, "Hey, it's our turn." <laughs> <laughs> so I said, when I get out of the shower, we're going to sign up. So cool. we, had, we had dueling computers. She was on one. I was on the other. And we both got signed up. She gets her shot tomorrow evening, and then I get mine Wednesday. Outstanding, man. So that is awesome. That, yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. So. Awesome. Yeah, it's our it's our week here, so we're gonna sign up tomorrow. We're gonna we're gonna be on the phones, computers, try to get appointment. It kicks off Friday here for folks sixty and above. So we're gonna be on it too, man. I tell you what, I tell you what, um mine was actually scheduled for March the twenty fifth. And okay. I had a friend to tell me that they were doing it at Walmarts. Yep, yep. And I contacted Walmart and they said they didn't have any available. So they said, Well, go to Sam's. Yeah. And so I went to Sam's and within about two minutes, I was signed up and I was going. Wow. Cool. Yeah. I heard today the Johnson and Johnson vaccine got the approval. It's going to be shipped uh, as early as Tuesday across the country. It's the one shot uh, vaccine. So that one's rolling out. So good news on the covid front, man. That is awesome. Fantastic. All right. I'm excited about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of excitement. Uh, we've got a good show coming on here tonight, man. Why don't you uh, tell us what we're going to be discussing? What, we what's do, going on? man. We, we have a fantastic show lined up tonight. And as I said, it's the end of Black History Month. And uh, it's a good way to end the month uh, with the guest we have on tonight. The guest is uh, none other than my niece, uh, Miss Lamanda Moore Rodriguez. And she is the anti-racist curriculum spe- specialist. For the Jefferson County Public School System, and she has been gracious enough to join us tonight. She did a tremendous article in the Louisville Courier-Journal that I think you and I both uh, were privy to. We read, and we thought, man, this would be great. Again, another hometown hero to bring on to chat about what they're doing in the state of Kentucky uh, to bring about change. So that's what we got on tap tonight. I think it's going to be exciting uh, to hear what Lamanda has to say. And uh, without further ado, I bring to everyone over the airwaves, Miss Lamanda Moore Rodriguez. How are you tonight? Hi, I'm so good. Thank you so much for that awesome introduction. I didn't hey. even know who you were talking about. Hey, we, 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 we give props where props are due. Absolutely. I appreciate it. I appreciate that, that's how we roll here on Across the Tracks. And um, since this is your first time visiting with us, we hope you won't be a stranger and uh, and come back again. Yeah. But um, if you're wondering, and, and we, you know, since you're joining us for the first time, 
the Across the Tracks podcast is uh, is something that Steve and I came up with uh, back in 2016 while we were on a cruise. And we were bantering back and forth about people at home that we had grew up with and we were joking about things and whatnot. And someone said, hey, this would be a great thing to do a podcast about. So uh, we said, yeah, let's do it. So here we are. I think we're about <laughs> 70 something episodes in. Wow. Yep. Yeah, yeah, about 70 something episodes. And the Across the Tracks moniker uh, came from the fact that E-Town, as you well know, is divided by a set of railroad tracks. Mm -hmm, (laughs) And mm -hmm. both black folks in E-Town live in the bottom or they live in the hill. The rest of black folks in E-Town live on the other side of the tracks. So that's that's where the the Across the Tracks podcast came from. So I love it. Yeah. So we're so glad you're here tonight. And um, looking forward to hear what you have to say. Uh, it's free flowing here. We say it like we see it. That's our tag. And uh, we, we, we're interested to hear what you have to say, your thoughts and everything about your work you're doing there uh, in Louisville. Well, I mean, I appreciate the opportunity. I know earlier you were talking about the last day of Black History Month, right? And yeah. um, I'm really sad about that because, I mean, I just know that the focus um, on Black history is so, so important. And so I was so sad um, to be thinking that that the month was so fast and um, the topic might be fleeting. But um, I was thinking about a couple of of programs that I talked at this week. Um, And you all had mentioned hometown heroes. And so I would be remiss without mentioning that at, at one of those programs, I had to speak about, um, you know, my my great uncle. And, you know, I call him Uncle Dead. So I Mm -hmm. wanted to make sure that, you know, the students in Louisville, Kentucky know that they have another hometown hero besides, you know, the Muhammad Ali's. Um, I just wanted to make sure that we're lifting up, you know, all of the hometown heroes that we know and that we have um, so that we can have those positive examples for our kids. Um, And so I'm kind of sad to see the month go because I know, unfortunately, some of the some of the momentum will be lost um, but I think that's where we have to come in and kind of um, build up that slack and make sure that we're teaching our kids about black history beyond right. the month of February. Right. And, and Lamanda, that's what we do here on the Across the Tracks podcast. We always talk about historical facts and black history. And, you know, the the world it concentrates on black history for America, the month of February. And we're constantly bringing up the fact that there's always history made every day. It's mm-hmm. just that it's just that we decided that we're going to take this month to showcase our heritage, to showcase the positive things that we've done throughout history. And so with that, with that in mind, we just continue to bring those issues back to Across the Tracks podcast. Mm-hmm. Now, now when we started this podcast, we talked about E-Tail. You know, we talked about things going on there, and we talked about some of the local heroes, people that we grew up, some of the entrepreneurs, some mm-hmm. of the people that we all had growing up. Mm-hmm. Of course, you don't, you know, may not know these people. You've probably heard them from your grandparents and so on. Sure. But we always talk about those things. And it's it's sad that we have to just deal with that that month. However, mm-hmm. we concentrate and we bring that to the forefront, you know, and without us talking about ourselves, there wouldn't be anybody else to discuss us. So right. that's that's kind of where we are. Right. 
Okay. Now I have a question for you. Um, how long have you been working for the Jefferson County Public Schools, and and what exactly is your position there, and how does it how does it work for you? So I've been with JCPS for the last eleven years. Um, I think maybe twelve coming up pretty pretty soon. Um, and so with the district, I've had a lot. I've had a lot of different positions. So I've been able to, you know, kind of have my eyes and ears on on different. Um, areas of the school to see how things work. Um, so from being a special education teacher where I was um, responsible for uh, a caseload of students and helping them to accelerate to meet their goals, um, I was a literacy coach, which means I'm helping teachers plan instruction um, to meet the needs of all their students. Um, a reading recovery teacher, which is something that I'm, I'm not sure a lot of folks know uh, what that is, but it's a position that is specifically slated for first grade students um, and finding those students who are at the bottom 20 percent of of their class and helping them to accelerate their their reading um, to on grade level instruction. Um, and so being in a lot of different positions, the position before this was an equity and inclusion resource teacher. Um, and in that position, I had a lot of focus on schools and supporting schools um, with just racial equity in general. So we're looking at data to see how we can move students um, and to see which students may not be performing as well as their counterparts. And then we're, we're forming a plan to make sure that those students are specifically thought of in instruction. Um, and so in this new position, it's kind of a continuation of, of some of the things that I was doing as a resource teacher, um, just on a little bit of a, a larger scale. Okay. So before, I specifically worked with supporting teachers and principals. Um, and so now the support is going to be, um, a, a, it's going to look a little bit different in, in that I'm supporting all schools. So before I just worked with elementary because I'm an elementary person, that's my certification. And now in this position, it's kind of expanded to all levels. Um, and so we've really worked hard to think about implicit bias, um, making sure that our teachers are reflecting on their practices and reflecting on their biases because we all have them. Um, and, and, and helping teachers understand how those biases creep into our classroom and affect our children. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, the data shows us that. And so it's my job to kind of help teachers look at the, in the, look at the curriculum in a different way, to find holes and to find ways that we can supplement um, to make sure that our students are seeing themselves all over, all over their instruction, making sure students are seeing themselves in their classroom just in general. Um, and making sure that teachers are, are not just showing them examples of themselves, but showing them positive and affirming examples of themselves. So, so my job is kind of broad now. Um, right now, we're developing some teachers to um, think about disrupting curriculum in a different way so that we can use that as an example to show other teachers in the district of how it can be done. Um, I think we're just in a unique position just because of how large our district is. It's very urban. Um, but when we look at the teaching staff itself, it, it doesn't reflect that. Mm -hmm. um, so we already know that we've got to overcome some obstacles as far as representation in the teaching staff and then making sure the teaching staff that we have understand the culture and background of our students so that they can also make connections in that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, how many students are in Jefferson <clears throat> County Public Schools? 
Um, you know, let me check really quickly because the last time, uh, I want to say we have over a hundred thousand students, but okay. I want to be specific. Wow. Um, our district is very, very large. <laughs> right, um, right. I mean, it's, it's sort of like it probably equates to Indianapolis Public Schools, which is the largest uh, school district in Indiana <coughs> as well. <clears throat> now, uh, you talk about teacher evaluations. Do you, you use a specific model for teachers evaluation? I know here in uh, the township in which I taught for 30 years and I'm on the school board right now, they use the TAP the TAP map model for evaluating teachers? So um, the evaluation system here, um, we work off of the Charlotte Danielson framework. Okay. Um, and so that's how teachers are, um, um, I'm sorry, the word escape, but that's how we are um, evaluated. And so on top of the that framework, we also are responsible for this year, which was something new, was coming up with racial equity goals. Mm -hmm. And so along with your whatever goal it was that you wanted to work on this year to grow professionally, we also need to think about something that is specifically geared towards racial equity for our students that the teacher is going to work on um, growing and implementing in. So that was something new that happened this year specifically to my job. I don't do too much with just teacher evaluation in general. Um, but when it comes to things like that, helping teachers to figure out what would a goal even look like, I don't even understand what racial equity is and you want me to find a goal. So we're trying to find that common ground to where we're helping teachers understand, um, one, what culturally responsive teaching is, because that's ultimately what we want them to do and be is culturally responsive educators. Um, and then also how to implement those goals within a culturally responsive classroom. And we can't do that if you don't even know what culturally responsive teaching is. Right, um, right. So it's a little tricky. Okay. Now, uh, you you said you're you're an urban uh, school district in which I, I understand 000 that. 96,000 students. 96,000. And... Um, you're having a problem like our township is having a problem of finding black educators or minority educators. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I, 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 I think that this is something that's going across the country sure. in the fact that there aren't many people going into education. Right. You know, I, I, Wayne and I talked about a statistic before that <clears throat> Before Brown versus Board of Education, the majority of the people that were teaching uh, students that were black were into education, the profession, mm -hmm. because that mm -hmm. was the only profession that they could literally get into. And the byproduct of Brown versus Board of Education is that when they started to integrate these schools, these school districts started to get a choice. Am I going to hire a black mm -hmm. teacher? Or am I going to hire a white teacher? Right. And it was a black teacher that always got the, the, you know, you get fired, you know, you're getting riffed out mm -hmm. of there and so on. And a couple of other things that I've noticed is that businesses have opened so much now that the fact that you can go out and start businesses, you can do everything. So that field is opened up. And so it's also cutting back on the number of professionals uh, that were into education that is black. So this is something that's happened in JCPS uh, and also in mm -hmm. uh, the small township that I'm in. Well, Perry, Indianapolis is weird. 
the fact that it's got nine different townships mm-hmm. and each in each township has a school district it's, that comes from the old Northwest ordinance type stuff. So that's a history thing. Okay. Uh, in our township, we have over 16,000 students. And then you got not just imagine 16,000 students times nine. And that's what you have. Mm-hmm. And, and then IPS is even a larger school district. So that's kind of where we are with that. And, oh. I, you know, so anyway, I didn't mean to take away your thunder, but. Uh, oh, yeah. wow. That's good to know. I, I, I didn't know Indianapolis worked like that. I, I knew someone who taught up there, but I didn't know specifically um, the, the, the ins and outs of it. So it's good to know. Right, right. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, we've got the same problem out here. I have a brother friend. He uh, he's in. Uh, started out in elementary education, and then he taught some special ed. And now he's teaching at the community college level, but he's been, you know, on his Facebook page recruiting, especially black males. Mm-hmm. Uh, to come, mm-hmm. uh, come into teaching, um, you know, because there, you know, there it's a huge gap that there are not, yes. you know, a lot of black males in the classroom for right. our mm-hmm. kids to see. And so I don't know how his, how his efforts have been going, uh, but he's out. I mean, we got the same thing here. You know, huge school districts here, large school districts out here, and the majority of the teachers in the classrooms out here are are white. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and and it's usually white women. Yeah. I was hired in 1984 because the township that I'm in right now, that I'm on the school board now, they were looking for black male teachers. Mm-hmm. And they found me at EKU. And believe it or not, I came up to Indianapolis in October of 1984. And it was the only male black teacher in the high school in which I taught. Wow. And for 30 years, I was the only male black teacher in the high school that I taught until I retired. Hmm. And I, you know, being on the school board, I told the superintendent, I told the personnel director or the HR person, we got to get we got to get black folks and Mm -hmm. minorities. And we have a huge uh, chin population or refugees from Burma. Mm hmm. And that is right now the large, almost the largest group that we have in our school district mm-hmm. out of almost almost 16,000, over 16,000. Mm-hmm. And so last year was the first year that we actually had a Chin student that went through our school district, went to college, came back, and has been hired as a, a teacher. Wow. So, you know, that's another sidebar on that. Well, I think but it's I, important that you had uh, that there was some kind of goal in mind. So there was some kind of plan. Um, and I I know in our district, we're trying to think of a plan, too, because, you know, we're in the same boat. Eighty three percent of our teachers are white. Um, and we know that students learn best from someone who looks like them. Um, and so our efforts in recruitment have kind of been. Um, thinking about the local colleges, so the, the local HBCUs in Kentucky, right? So we've got mm-hmm. um, K-State, we've got um, uh, the Seminary Bible College, and so we formed some partnerships with those two institutions, um, and actually last summer we offered some conditional um, contracts to some students that were uh, just graduating out of the College of Ed in, in K-State, Um And so I think when it comes to 
minority teacher recruitment, we're going to have to be very, very, very savvy because I'm thinking about, um, like you mentioned, there are so many different avenues to make money these days. I can start my own business. You know, I could be an internet sensation tomorrow and not have to work another day again in my life. So how do we make sure that we're finding those folks who um, one, have a passion for education and students, and then will stay in the profession. Um, and and sadly, I think it comes down to, um, well, not sadly, but I think it comes down to incentivizing. What are we doing to make the profession look like something that um, others would want to join? Um, well, and so I keep hearing all these stories across the country of things that are happening, um, and it just makes me think about the image of education and um, how 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 we can overcome that image so that we can make sure our students can have representations of people that look like them. Well, the key the key you said a key word there, and that is profession. <clears throat> Teaching has to be treated like doctors, lawyers. It is a profession. You have to be qualified to go into that role, and you're in you're you know for you to do that job, you should be compensated accordingly. You are a professional, Absolutely. Absolutely. and we 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 for years and years and years. I mean, you both have been in education. We've we've known other teachers, and a lot of time people get out of the teaching profession is, hey, I just can't make it on what they're paying me. Mm-hmm. I, I know when Danny was in school and we went to, you know, you do the the parent teacher conferences and we went to one of her teachers and she had just started out in the business. She had three jobs. Mm-hmm. I mean, she had three jobs. Mm-hmm. And so she she teach, she go work a shift somewhere and then she work another shift after that doing something part time just yeah. to make ends meet. And then she was buying supplies out of her pocket for the classroom. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. And so I think that's a big thing in this country. We need to treat teaching like any other profession. If you go through the rigors of qualification, then people need to be appropriately compensated for that. Um, That's that's a start. That is a start. Absolutely. And it's not even just getting you know, just getting qualified, just getting certification. You have to stay qualified. You have right, to keep right. your certification. You have to right. make sure you get your hours every year. Right. So it's not right. just, you know, you've got the certification, you're good to go. No, no, no. It is ongoing. We are we are right. some of the most um, professionally developed uh, people <laughs> in, in the business, if you could think right. of it that way, just because of the amount of, of stuff that we have to keep up with. Uh, if, yeah. if you're not keeping up, then you're behind. Yeah. And as teachers, we know our kids are changing. Technology is changing. If we're not abreast of both of those, then we're just going to be left. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of I'm just talking about the state of Indiana is that uh, probably uh, seven or eight, I'm going to say maybe eight years ago, they went ahead and got rid of the seniority uh, type pay scale. And 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 basically everything is based on your evaluation. You get paid Mm -hmm. for your evaluation. Mm -hmm. And so. You know, when you start in our district in in Perry Township, you start off at a a salary of like forty one thousand dollars. Prior to that, you know, your next year there was an automatic pay increase, and then the next year was pay increase, and it went up to about uh, fifteen to sixteen years, 
and maybe 20 years, and it basically leveled out. You know, this is the the most that you can get. Mm -hmm. And then they had incentives like if you got your master's, then you got an extra $3,000 starting on your salary. Mm -hmm. Well, they got rid of that. So it's possible now that someone could come in at $41,000 and they are, are evaluated as an effective teacher. You have effective, highly effective and someone that's going to need some work, okay? Mm-hmm. So if you're an effective teacher, you know, you may get 1500 bucks that year. You know, on it's mm. not a salary increase, it's just a stipend from the gotcha. state. That's and interesting. So, and so the next year, you're still going to be at $41,000, and then you have to continue to be effective an effective teacher and you get maybe another $1,500, but your base salary does not go up. Wow. So you're, you may, you may stay at $41,000 for 25 years. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And so it's, it's really been a pain for teachers to deal with that. And then they are, they are evaluated by um, uh, a tap rubric in which they, literally kind of go through things and it's supposed to be objective, but it's not really objective. Mm-hmm. So you got teachers that are stressing out over, am I going to get evaluated? How my evaluation is going to take place? We have three evaluations, mm-hmm. two evaluations. It's a big mess and teachers mm-hmm. are stressed on top oh, of, mm-hmm. on top of COVID. Mm-hmm. Okay. And on top of the, the state of Indiana, don't feel that teachers are essential. So Mm -hmm. the teachers haven't even gotten their vaccine vaccine yet. They should be at the top. How in the heck heck can you have these students come in and your Mm -hmm. teachers are afraid to go to class because of COVID and so on. So it's been a mess. It's been a mess, but that's is what we, that's what we have to deal with in the state of Indiana and every state's Mm -hmm. different. Okay. Well, teachers are just are just the most flexible group that you'd ever find. So, so yes, we're going through this pandemic. We're dealing with you know vaccines and and children and, but you know when it comes to teachers, we're the ones who have to make it work. Right. So we have to stretch ourselves to see, you know, what education is going to look like um, after COVID. So we just got voted this this week by the by the board to go back to school. Um, and so our kids are, our elementary kids are slated to go back somewhere around March 17th um, with a hybrid model. Um, but we have our special ed students who are going to be attending four days a week right. um, in elementary. And so um, we are going to really have to stretch ourselves to figure out how is how to make that work or is it even going to work? Um, <laughs> so, yes, our teachers are we're, we're on our second vaccine. And, and, you know, we appreciate that. We know that's something that needs to happen in order for school to move forward. But I just need to think about what's best for these kids. Right. Um, is this going to be what's best for kids? And so when it comes to teachers, we're the ones who make it work. So come, you know, hell or high water, if, if this is what you want us to do, we're going to try our best to figure it out um, and then roll with the punches after that. But is it fair? That I don't know. Okay. 
I, mean, I applaud both you guys, you know, being being in education and the job that uh, that you you do and have done, um, you know, the fact that you are with, you know, the kids of this country, you know, hours after hours after hours, you know, and imparting into them certain things. I mean, it's 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 an invaluable, you know, profession, man, that we need. And I don't think it's recognized as it should be. So I applaud both you guys for for being educators and, and doing what you do day in and day out or have done day in and day out. So awesome. Hey, uh, so, oh, go, go ahead. Wayne. No, I was, I was going to say, um, you know, let's, you know, get into the article. Um, Boy, get great into, minds think a lot, brother. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's go ahead and get into your article. Uh, Lamanda, the, the title of your article was invaluable or invisible. And as I was reading it, I sensed a lot of passion. I could just mm -hmm. feel the passion emanating from the page. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's talk about your article. What 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 got you to that point to say I need to put pen to paper and and, and let somebody know how I'm feeling? So take us through that. Well, so so luckily I have um, a boss who um, recognizes the the gifts of, of the people in his department right so um so it was an opportunity that came down from from him and it was just a subject of i want you to think about literacy and and black history month um, and so as i'm thinking about that topic i think well you know what comes to mind um we're usually not the um the subject matter in any classroom um, unless it's time to talk about slavery. Mm. So I wanted to think about our teachers, the month of February, um, and then think about writing this article and have a teacher in our district read it and, and rethink and reflect on what they've been doing. Um, because, yes, February is slated as Black History Month, but but we know history is just history. Um History is something that shouldn't be confined to the 28 days of, of this month. Um, if you're looking at your classroom and your classroom is very diverse, if you see maybe four white students um, out of a class of 25, then we need to make sure that all of those students are seeing themselves in the material, the white students also. The white students have to be able to, um, well, they should be able to speak to um the story of Black people. We, our curriculum for so, so long has been, um, it's it's just been Eurocentric and that's the way it is. Um, but that's not how it should be. So if our teachers are in this district and we know that our demographics and our students are so diverse, then it would make sense for our reading materials to be diverse. It would make sense for um, the pictures that we show to be diverse. It would make sense for our teachers to talk about our, our students um, and ways that actually connect to their lives. Um, and so without doing that, we're just missing such a huge opportunity. And I know just walking through buildings in February, we hear Martin Luther King. We hear about Ruby Bridges. We hear about Harriet Tubman. Um, but are those the only people that we know? And sadly, for some of our teaching staff, it is. So they're mm -hmm. limited because they don't know the history themselves. So if our educators don't know what the history is, how are they going to teach it and pass it down to our students? How, how are they going to make it feel like it is something so important to them that they have to show their students 
um, this information because it's so important to them and their their positive self-identity. Um, and so in Jefferson County, we do, we have this conundrum, you know, we, we get to February and we think, let me grab that same Martin Luther King book that I've, I've been teaching for the past 15 years. It's, it's done the job, but it hasn't really done the job because if our students really knew who Martin Luther King Jr. was, um, they would they would be able to have more conversation about Martin Luther King Jr. Besides, he wanted us all to just live in peace and harmony. Um, and so if you're going to talk about Martin Luther King Jr., that's great. I need you to talk about the real. I need you to go beyond the niceties. I need you to go beyond, you know, the happy singing songs. Everybody is rejoicing. I need you to get to the real. Our kids are not going to be any better for having this fluffed up version of history um, and then go out into the real world and find that that's absolutely not the truth. They should be learning about the truth in school so that we are preparing them to go out into the world and face some of these inequities um, that they're learning about um, and also give them ways of action so that they can be a change agent agent to make sure some of these things don't happen. Um, but how can our teachers do that if they don't know the history themselves? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I, I have a question for you. You know, you said that we have to teach some of the folks this is these are the the kids that we have and we need to learn something about the kids isn't it isn't it odd that as human beings that people don't try to reach out and understand the other perspective as well i mean is there have you ever thought about you know, some of the white teachers that are there in Jefferson County public schools, have they ever tried to go out and seek out information about the black community, about black, you know, entrepreneurs and artists and so on? Have they ever, have they ever thought about maybe um, looking up information? Because I, I think as we grew up, you know, in Elizabethtown, we went to an integrated school, okay, all the way through school. And I had an older brother that didn't go to an integrated school the first day. So he went to Bond, Washington, which is right up the street uh, uh, from where Wayne used to live, mm. okay? And so we, we've always adapted to, and it's odd to see that the majority never really wanted to adapt to or learn, not everybody, that didn't want to learn anything about the other cultures and so on, because it's all, it boils down to privilege. Okay. Well, I, I, I think, Go ahead. And, 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 and you, you made a good point, man. There, there is a faction, there is a faction of white America who feel as though I don't need to know anything about those people. <laughs> what what do I care? Or nor you do know? I want to learn anything. Or nor do it. I want right. to. And so I know, I, I know at work that when February rolls around, I know people are scared shitless about, <laughs> oh, it's February. It's Black History Month, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And and it's usually well, you know, Dr. King, he had a dream and Rosa Parks, he said, I mean, give me a break, man. You know, as Lamanda said, if you if you really want to know about Dr. King, you, you find out about what this guy was really all about. Mm -hmm. But they don't want to do that. They just want to know the surface mm -hmm. stuff. He gave his speech. Let's live in Kumbaya and all this good stuff. But if you don't have to know anything about me and don't care to, 
then, you know, it's all good. That's that's the faction of this country. That's their view. And so, you know, what Lamanda's dealing with, I'm sure, you know, she has a lot of teachers there uh, in the in the school district in Jefferson County. It's like, what do I need to know about this stuff for? I don't care. You know, and that you know, if you're teaching kids, if you're teaching in a diverse environment and you can't address certain things to those kids, you're a teacher, you're an educator. It should be important to you. Mm-hmm. But we, we we seem to know more about the majority than they know about us. It's always been that absolutely. way. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and I mean, I think that is that's I think that's something that's done on purpose because we think about um Teachers and and when they think about race, it's such an uncomfortable conversation. Mm-hmm. It's so um, taboo; they don't want to say the wrong thing. Um, and so, for some teachers, I think those teachers who understand how how it, how important it is um, for Black and Brown students to know where they come from, there there are some out there who will do the re- research. Right. There are some who will go to the PD. There are some who will go to that place in the neighborhood where you wouldn't go, but that's the minority. Um, at this point, I can see how teachers um, would think about this information. So so black people have contributed so, 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 so much to the world. Um, but what does that do for the teacher um, to know that information and not share it with the students? There, it's something that to me is 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 scary. So I, if I showed you who you really were, what would you do with that information? What could you do with that information? What could you do to me with that information? So I think it comes to to just um, you know preserving our way of life. Yes, we know about the dominant culture because that's what we've had to learn about. School wasn't made for black or brown children. It wasn't made for women. It was made for white males. So we're still teaching to white males. Um, but, but I think it's, uh, something to be said for just knowing the rich history and the culture we have, what would happen if our teachers actually showed our students who they were? It, I, I think it would be something like an uprising. Like, I think it would be something so monumental that school would never look the same way. Um, and really school needs to look different as it is right now. However, our classroom looks, that's the material we need to be teaching. If you have Asian American students in your classroom, where do they see positive examples of Asian Americans in their classroom and their instruction in in everyday life? How are we highlighting that? Um, But I think, of course, teachers are just scared. You know, they've taught this this way for so, so long. You know, this has been the white woman's profession for so, so long. And now that we're seeing um, the way things are changing, we're seeing how students are speaking out more and becoming more active. They're scared. They don't want to have that conversation. But it's my mm-hmm. job to to help you um, make sure that you understand this is a part of your job. If these black and brown children are in your classroom, it is your job to teach them about themselves. It is your job to teach them about themselves in a positive way um, so that they have the same affirmation that white students do. White students are affirmed all day long. They see themselves all day long. But when we think about our black and brown students, they don't have that same luxury. Um, but that's what that's what we have to think about is getting our teachers to change their way of thinking to understand it is life or death for these kids. If they don't see positive, if they don't see um, or feel that you care about them or their, or their history, then you've lost. And we've got such a great opportunity here. 
Um, if only we would just take it. And so my job is to try to help teachers understand you. I understand that you are scared, but you have to do the work on yourself first and then um, also bring that into the classroom. And so we've got such a huge job just trying to get over the hurdle first of reflecting on your own bias, understanding, you know, your part of of the history. Um, and we're kind of still at those beginning stages because we don't want to take ownership. And I understand. Um, but in order to move forward, we, we've got to make some bold statements um, and then keep on moving. And so that's what we're trying to do is just just push teachers to to have uncomfortable conversations, because just because the conversation is uncomfortable doesn't mean it needs to stop. Um, that means that we're growing. And that's where I think we need to stay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how how are the teachers uh, receptive to uh, you telling them, basically keeping it real and saying, these are the things that you have to do. I, I know that there is, there are people that will resist, you know, I'm not wearing a mask because you, you're telling me to wear a mask. Well, you're saying, if, if I'm, if I'm uh, understand you, is that you have to sit down and you have to go to these uh, professional developments and talk about these are some of the biases that we have to discuss. Mm-hmm. Well, how how do they how do they respond to that? I, there's always going to be someone that's going to respond well, mm-hmm. but how do you get to the ones that you know that they are resistant to it? Well, so I think it's twofold. So we've got those folks who are open and then those folks who really aren't, right? So they're here because they have to, this is something that's mandatory. This is something that they they have to go to to fulfill some kind of requirement. Mm -hmm. Um, Those teachers who are here because they want to be are the easy ones, right? Like I can say something to you and I know that you're going to take that, you're going to research and you're going to move forward. But those ones that are sitting there, like I'm stuck on a log, looking at me like I am crazy. That's okay. You can look at me like I'm crazy, but you're still going to have to listen to what I have to say. So I know that you're here and you have a sour look on your face. This may not be anything that you want to hear, but you're in the moment, so you're going to have to listen. Um, and then also goes with that is conversation. You're here, you have to listen, but I'm also going to make you talk. So you might want to not participate, but I can't let you get away with that. I can't. <laughs> I'm going to, to make sure that you're having some kind of discourse um, because one, I want to know what you're thinking. I can, I, I probably have a good inkling, but I like to hear it out loud. Once I've heard it, then we can get to work. And think about whatever statement you made, how it's either building up or harming someone. Um, and so that may be something that is that is um, very hard for them to do. They don't want to talk about things. Mm-hmm. Um, but as long as you are in my space, you're going to have to hear and have some conversation to, to do some reflecting on whatever it is that you're thinking about. Um, I may not I may not change your mind. I'm not going to I'm probably not going to change your mind overnight. Right. But I am at least going to give you something to think about. Um, so that hopefully that that seed starts to grow um, and conversation with your colleagues could hopefully help that so that you can see that what you're thinking may not be the best, may not be the best way. Um, and so it's hard. Yeah. It is hard, hard to reach those folks because you have to be willing. You have to be someone who is open to change and open to having a conversation. Um, but if you're not open, I'm just going to keep talking at you until something, something has to hit. Um 
and those are the ones that that we still have to have to work on adamantly. Um, but I think the more that folks get on board, I think that attitude hopefully will change. Yeah. Um, um, we just can't stay stagnant. We can't because if that's the case and that's how you're going to stay, stay then there's no place for you in our district. Like we are moving towards anti-racist pedagogy. And if you're not on board with being anti-racist, which means you have to do something in order to be anti-racist, then you're just going to be left behind. You're going to be the minority. We need to sail this ship towards student achievement of our black and brown children. And if you're not on board to talk about race and the systemic um, things that have happened to get us to this place, then education is not for you. That's awesome. I, I think the big thing that you said there is they had to be open-minded. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Too. Gotta be willing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gotta be willing. And I'll take those people who are curious and they don't know, but they want to know and they're asking from a genuine place. I'll take that and work with that all day long um, over someone who is just refusing to see any other kind of um, point of view or perspective. So, yeah. yeah. It's amazing that we both live in, <laughs> you live mm-hmm. in Kentucky where Yertle the Turtle is, <laughs> <laughs> and I live in Indiana where Pap, Mike Pence, has come from. We're, we're talking about some folks that their minds, to change, you may have to get a rock and smack them mm. across the head, you know, but mm. tough, tough nuts to crack, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes, you know, but we'll keep working. We'll keep working. Yeah, you, you got you got to keep pushing. And it's 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 sad that here we are. We're we're talking about people being uncomfortable, man. And it's like, well, a lot of this stuff surrounding uncomfortableness, unco- if that's a word, uncomfortableness, mm-hmm. is that you brought it on. You, mm-hmm. we didn't cause it. You did. Mm-hmm. Yep. So if you want to get rid of that feeling, then you need to sit down and have honest dialogue Absolutely. with people who don't look like you. Absolutely. And uh, as we say here on the podcast, America needs to get real. If America would get real about who she is, mm-hmm. what she stands for, then a lot of this uncomfortable feeling that people have when you're talking about race and racism and systemic um, ways that people have been disenfranchised, a lot of that would probably subside, subside and we get to a better place. But some folks just don't want to give it up. They don't want it there. I guess they feel better being uncomfortable. I don't know. <laughs> I well, I think don't. they might feel better just, you know, being in the dark because you don't have to take any responsibility that right. way. Right. Um, you can you can still be oblivious and say, I didn't know. I didn't know. Um, I don't. And and if you're looking at the news these days, I don't know how you can say you didn't know. Um, it, it, it might be you just ignoring. Right. They choose to ignore. They choose to not know. They've seen it. They've heard it. They know what's going on, but they choose to say nothing about it because that makes them comfortable with where they are. You know, it, it goes back to and I, I've mentioned this before in our podcast is that when Jimmy Carter and Rosalind Carter uh, left their the presidency and the first lady and Ronald Reagan became the president, uh, Rosalind Carter said Ronald Reagan is letting people is allowing people to be people to be comfortable with their prejudices. Mm. And so that was kind of a start of things kind of changing in America. 
because the 60s and 70s, which you don't know anything about because you're so young, <laughs> the 60s and 70s, you know, you had a lot of people think the same way. There was a lot of there was a lot of people that was against the war in Vietnam, and we came out of that, got into the 70s where Wayne and I were. There were still issues at race, but a lot of it had squelched itself. A lot of it had at least gone to the background. People didn't mm-hmm. publicly say stuff because if they did, there was going to be some scuffling going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I know there's mm-hmm. there's a hole right there in the in the uh, library for some scuffling that went on at Etown High School. We could tell you, <laughs> 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 and that all started to change. I think about 1980, and then just recently, it's just exploded that mm-hmm. people can lay back behind their prejudices and now speak for because we had somebody that was willing to say what they were doing was okay because he did mm-hmm. it himself you know mm-hmm. so that's the fight that mm-hmm. you're I'm seeing that you're kind of going through and those people that are sitting back in your in your um, meetings with their arms crossed and not saying a word because they don't want to be there. And yeah. as we talk about keeping it real is the conversations is the best thing that can happen. Yes. You know, I, I mm-hmm. don't know what's going through your mind until we sit and have a conversation. Right. You know. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Yes. And luckily we don't, well, not luckily, but we don't get the privilege to sit these situations out. We don't have the privilege to say, I'm not going to engage in that situation today. Um like our like our white brothers and sisters, it would be nice to to count ourselves out as something, um, you know, that was uncomfortable just because we could. But we don't have that luxury. Yeah. And some don't. Some don't. And some do. I mean, I've got colleagues that I taught with for 30 years that, you know, we can talk about anything and everything. Mm. And I, I kid you not. I mean, we talk Good. about anything and everything and because mm-hmm. that's just the way we were and that's the way their families were growing up. Mm-hmm. And so if you name it, we talk about it. We don't care what it is, you know. Yes. So if we had more people that mm-hmm. were not guarded in their own self um, neglect or uh, self-pity mm-hmm. or um, their lack of um, assertiveness then things would be much better. I agree. I agree. We've just got to have these conversations. Just be open and honest. Yes. I'd rather Absolutely. I'd rather honesty than than you know evading the subject or just not be willing to engage. Just yeah. let's be honest. Yeah. Show your hand. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Move, moving to Indiana, I tell folks all the time when I first moved here. I said I grew up in the South. And in the South, people will tell you, I don't like you. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not kidding around. I don't like you. They would know where you know where you stand on issues. Mm-hmm. Moving to Indiana, it was not that way. It's like you don't know what they're thinking. You don't cause because they they aren't sure of where you're coming from. Mm. So, and I've always been that way. If if someone says something to me, I'm going to say it. Right. You know, uh, if someone says something smart, I'm going to get at them. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know, and I'm gonna put them on the hot seat, <laughs> you know, and make them feel uncomfortable. Cause I, I, one time I was, this is a quick story. Sorry to, to, to bring this up, but I was going into the teacher's lounge and Wayne, you remember the fab five. Yep. And, uh, another teacher colleague, and they were getting ready to play for the um, championship. And he goes, who are you going to go for in the uh, championship game? You going you gonna to go for Michigan? And I go, well, why would you think that? And he goes, well, you, 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 you know what I mean? I said, no, what do you mean? Well, you, 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 you know what I mean? I said, no, explain what you meant by that statement. And he could have crapped a big log at that time mm. because I put him on the spot. Mm-hmm. I said, "Look, I don't, I don't play that stuff. If you know, if if you're gonna say something stupid, I'm gonna come back at you. Yeah. Okay, so that's how I've always been. And if you have an open conversation with folks, as simple as simple as that. You know, you know where someone stands. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, yep. I'd rather yep. know where you stand. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cynthia had a had a situation like that uh, when she was when working in corporate America. She had a co-worker, a young, young white guy and his fiance. They were getting ready to uh, get married. And he was commenting one day in the cubicle farm that um, he was having a tough time finding a DJ for his wedding. So Cynthia's like, hey, uh, my husband does does DJ work. I'm sure he'd be glad to do it for you. I'll give you his phone number. You can call him. Oh, no, no. I, I don't think he'd be right for us. <laughs> so Cynthia's like, what do you That's mean? Coded language. Right yeah. For you. You know, he's like, well, he, he might not play the kind of music we want. She's like, what are you trying to say? She's like, my husband's <laughs> doing this for years. He's he plays all kind of music. What what are you saying? You know, and he was, you know, Cynthia's like he turned beat red and whatnot because she'd called him out. Yeah. You know, and and we we deal with that crap all the time, man. It's it's yeah. people make assumptions about us, and you know, you don't really know us and. As we said earlier, if you don't have to, you're not going to make the effort to do that. And we, we need to get beyond, uh, you know, just going past each other. And I think, you know, your article was invaluable. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was perfect, invaluable and invisible. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that's that's where we are, man. Yeah. You know, do we matter? Do you see us? Um, um, dead on. Dead on. Yeah. Yeah. Dead on. You, you know, LaManda, if... if um I, I may, uh, since I'm on the school board in Perry Township, I may uh, have you to come up and, and talk to uh, Perry Township. At least drop your name to them. Mm-hmm. You well, know? For sure. I would not. I wouldn't mind a bit. I yeah, mean, so. I, the, the quicker we can get this work moving and I feel like we need to, as a large urban district, we've really got to reach out into those smaller rural counties where there are, you know, only white staffs teaching our black and brown kids, we've got to reach the masses. Um, I am willing to go anywhere, <laughs> do anything, because yeah. it's what's best for our kids. Yes, yes. And, and it, it will help our kids, too, because when I first came to Perry Township, it was probably 95% white. Mm. And as of right now, it's probably 45% white. Hmm. Okay. So, so there's it's changed been a, a lot. It's changed a lot in the past thirty some years. Of mm-hmm. some of that is white flight, of course. Yeah. 
but we still have uh, students that we still have to educate. Yes. And uh, the more that we can show diversity, mm-hmm. uh, the better it's going to be for our kids because, you know, if you can see it, you can be it. And yep. we've always been that way. And our, we've got a, a, a board and a superintendent that believes in that. And okay. so, like you, some some people, it's hard to get them to change some of their ways, but we're going to move forward and we're going to have to um, educate the entire student body, whether mm-hmm. it's white, brown, black, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. And we're not afraid of that as, as a school district, that's for sure. Right. I love oh, That's great to hear. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, we are up at the top of the hour. Mm. And uh, I thought it'd be cool uh, as we wrap up tonight, um, as we take an opportunity to say what person within the black experience has inspired us in some form or fashion. And so we're going to start it off. We'll turn it over to our illustrious guest for this evening. Um, Who has inspired you? Uh, in Black history, too, and on your journey as you as you seek that that better world uh, that you spoke about in your article, what Black person has inspired you? So, so I really thought about this, okay, because it's so hard to just narrow things down. Um, and so, I, you know, earlier I mentioned the Black History Program, where you know I talked about um, my uncle Dick because I feel like he is just a hometown hero. Um, And so I'm going to do my best to make sure that more people know about who he is so that he can also be someone else's um, um, hometown hero. Um, But for me personally, just identifying is probably it's probably Mamie Phipps Clark. Okay. And so I say you all mentioned earlier the Brown versus Board of Education Mm -hmm. um, case. And so her research was, you know, integral to getting that decision made um, just based on the research that she did with students um, around the, the doll test and the, and the picture test. Um, and so, mm-hmm. I, so thinking about her and how she was a psychologist and a civil rights activist, she was trying to think about how do the ways of the world that we're living in right now affect our children. Um, and so the research was, um, is that children who um, are isolated from those that they don't look like are taught some some self-hatred. And so even though our schools these days are technically integrated, if we look at the, if we look at our city, like just in general, you can see that there are some schools that do not fit that bill. Um, And so what are we thinking, what are we doing to those children who whose schools might be 99% black, as opposed to a school in the East End whose whose school might be 5% black. Um, So it really made me think about just the children and the ways that we're still reinforcing that they're not important um, and and still perpetuating that negative stereotype. Um, And so she's someone who I kind of really look up to just because of the work she did with psychology and young children, because I'm an elementary person. um, And so children will tell you what they're thinking. So as she's showing these children the dolls and asking, which one do you want to play with? Which one is prettier? Um, Which one do you identify with? 
I'm not so sure that her research of the past will be so much different today. Um, and so that's why it's so important to have black and brown folks in these positions so kids understand that there's more to their lives than 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 the past. Um, I just want to make sure that we are continuing the work to make sure that our students know how dope they are. There's no need for self-hatred. You all have done so much to advance the world that you don't even know about. But just think about if they had that information, how they could soar. Um, so I, I just want to make sure that I'm in the business of, of uplifting and make sure that our teachers are uplifting these students um, because they need it. Like they absolutely need it and they deserve it. So when you said that, Mamie Phipps Clark came to my mind just because of the work that she did around psychology and intertwining that will sit with with um, the civil rights movement. I think that is something that is just amazing. Hmm. Wow. That's, awesome. That's, that's, yeah, she's a good one. That's for sure. Yep. Yep. She is. And you just think, and just think where that went, you know, it yeah. made its way all the way to Brown, mm-hmm. you know, for sure. Yeah. So what sure. about you, my brother? Well, uh, I'll tell you <laughs> a little known history fact, which is very important and my person is Claudette Colvin, mm-hmm. who happened to be the first person to be arrested in Montgomery for get, not giving up her seat mm-hmm. to a white person and mm-hmm. um, was kind of the, the mother of the bus sit-in. Now, she was... 15, yeah, she was 15 years old when she was arrested. And um, it's it's amazing the fact that she did not become the person chosen to be the head of the bus boycott, the, the face of the bus boycott. Because, number one, she was and and we've talked about this before. There was something in society about a dark complected person and a light complected person. Mm -hmm. And so when choosing the person to be the face of the sit in, they chose Rosa Parks because she would come across come across a little bit softer Mm. than Claudette Colvin. And also the fact that Claudette Colvin ended up getting pregnant Mm -hmm. by the time that the bus boycott started. So, you know, the leaders, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. and Andy Young and all those guys, they had to choose somebody. And Rosa Parks was a person that they chose because she would make a better face because she would be a little bit she would be much softer than a young unwed Mother, dark complected. That's that's not the face that we need, so that we can move this movement forward. Mm-hmm. And so, a forty-year-old seamstress by the name of Rosa Parks, she's the one that was given the accolades, as opposed to Claudette Coven, who is I think she's still alive today. She may be in her seventies yeah, or something. Yeah, I think she is. Yep. And uh, her her not being a voice, of course, you know, it all goes back to Emmett Till and so on. So mm. my my I, and I would bring this up to my history students 
And I would ask the question, you know, who was the first person to be arrested for the bus boycott? And they would all say, Rosa Parks, Rosa Parks, Rosa Parks, mm-hmm. Rosa Parks. And I would say, nope. And they would go, who? Mm-hmm. Oh. And, <laughs> and I go, no, it was this person. And I would explain why. So my mine is uh, Claudette Colvin. Claudette Colvin. Nice. How about, how about awesome. you, brother? Wow, as Lamanda said, man, you, you too can't narrow, hard to narrow it down to one yeah. person. Too many. We have contributed so much. But for me, I, I am going to go with um, the, the late, great Don Cornelius. Mm. And, and I say that because, um, um, Lamanda, you can ask your dad and your other uncles. Whatnot. Music's always been huge in my life. It always has been. It probably always will be that I'm no longer here on the planet. But um, Don Cornelius brought our culture and our style and our music, he brought it to national viewers. Mm. And growing up, we had nothing but American Bandstand. That's all we had for right. as long as I could remember on Saturdays. You know, and he'd have a few black acts on there, and you might see a few every now and then, a few black couples dancing on there, whatnot. But it wasn't until Don Cornelius brought Soul Train to national prominence mm. that you saw yep. black people dancing you heard our music you saw our style everything it was right there man and we would watch that show take what we saw on that show and go imitate it <laughs> that night at the yeah. party or whatever you know and 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 that show spawned other things that like before soul train i mean we weren't in magazines so from soul train you got right on magazine mm. uh, where you know, we were in there. There were black artists and articles about black entertainment. Th- that that was our magazine. Was right on. Yes. And then I don't know, Steve. You probably remember the Flag Brothers catalog. Oh, absolutely. The Flag Brothers catalog, <laughs> where if you oh. see some some style on Soul Train, you got got to get the Flag Brothers you gotta catalog. Got to get the Flag Brothers. Got to get the Flag Brothers catalog and order some yeah. platform shoes or yeah. stuff up out there. So that was for a fashion me, back then. Yeah, for me, Don Cornelius, uh, he, he he brought our style and our culture to the national airwaves. And, um, you know, I, I couldn't, man, that just, it had such an influence on me because you're getting the latest and greatest music every Saturday during that hour. And you're like, man, I got to go pick that up at the record store, you know? Right, right. And, and that's what I do, man. I'm like, hey, mom, can I, can I have $5? I need to go buy this record. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so so for me, I, I I'm I'm gonna go with Brother Don, man, uh, the late great Don Cornelius. So I love it. And yeah. Soul Train was the longest, had the longest running yep. Uh, yep. show for years. Yep. For years, you know, every Saturday until they mm-hmm. uh, went went under. Mm-hmm. Yep, there yeah, they went into mm-hmm. syndication. Yes. Uh, Oh, but he was the longest running show. And if there, there's a great book out. If you ever get a chance, it, it's it's a book about how he started Soul Train. Thing. It's called The Hippest Trip in America. That's the name of the book. And it just gives how he started Soul Train, how difficult it was to do that. There were people against him doing that and how he overcame to bring what he like. Look, we need to see ourselves mm-hmm. you know, out TV. Our, our young people need to see themselves in a show for them. And so without his vision, man, there, there probably wouldn't be, you know, we wouldn't have anything. We For that whole era from the 70s, probably to the early 90s, we would have, we would have had nothing, yeah. you know, to show our talents and our style 
uh, to a mass audience in this country. So, well, you know, to the late. No, one Nile. of our homegirls was on was a regular yes. on Soul Train. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. We grew up with the young lady that was a Soul Train dancer. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yes. She lived right down in the bottom, right yep. right around the corner from from us. Her name was Tanya Drumgool, and um, she she stayed went to school with us at E Town High, and then mm-hmm. I think after after high school she moved out to L A. Yep, wow. and uh, ended up being on Soul Train, man. And, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Living a life. <laughs> A lot of history came out of the bottom and, and across right. the tracks on Steve's side of the house. Too. Right, Mile Street. <laughs> Mile Street, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, wow. This has been very, very awesome. And uh, we want to thank Lamanda for coming on tonight and sharing her story, her struggles to get this work done. Uh, I know you're going to do it. I know you're determined. Um, you know, you're going to do some great things. And I'm not saying that just because you're my niece, but I think you've got the vision. You've got the wherewithal to see this through. And you're, you're the next generation. You're, you're those young people out there. that are going to make this happen. I think we're going to change the world and and change people's thoughts about each other in this country. So keep up that fantastic work you're doing. Anything we can do here to cross the tracks to help you. Hey, all you got to do is shout us out. Let us know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on, uh, Lamanda. We, we appreciate it. And I know, as, as Wayne said, that uh, you're going to do great things. And all I can say is, is I tell my people uh, here as well to keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. Keep look, keep looking for those educators that's going to mm-hmm. that that we can see it. They can be yeah. it. Yeah. OK. And I appreciate you coming on. And once again, uh, it's talking to you. Again, since I hadn't talked to you, but that one time down in down in the bottom, <laughs> okay, that's what you've forgotten about. I'm sorry. That's, that's if I okay. saw your face, I would remember. Well, we always go live after. We always go video after this, so you know we'll gotcha. we'll click that on. But yeah, much success, uh, much props to you coming on and adding to our podcast because we uh, we're going to say it like we see it, and mm-hmm. we're always interested in getting better. You know, something that started off. On a cruise back in 2016 now has grown into over 70 some episodes and we ourselves, even though that we're old people, we want to continue to get better (laughs) and, and put the word out there that. Um, He's talking about himself. I ain't. I (laughs) We're talking about from our birth date only. Okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we appreciate you coming on and much success in the future. And if I get an opportunity to uh, talk to our uh, student services person, I'm definitely going to drop your name. I appreciate you uh, helping us out. Absolutely. I appreciate the invite. I've thoroughly enjoyed myself. Thank you all. And congratulations on so many episodes. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. we, we, we're trying, you know, yeah. we're trying. <laughs> We're trying. So that said, uh, we're going to call it a night for this episode of Across the Tracks. And as I usually sign off my moniker in the great words of King T'Challa, Wakanda forever. And as I finish up, I go back to the years I spent over in Italy and say, Chiliamo dopo, which means I'll see you later. And like three strikes, we're out. We're out. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are of those of the individuals 
and do not reflect on the official policies or positions of any government or corporation.